welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a great deal of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, your humble correspondent and host. My name is John Steinberg, and I am joined virtually alongside by my main man who goes by the name of Santino Maoni back again. It's been a while. We're back again, finally, for another episode of Visionaries. I have now left LA. We are still here doing it over Zoom. Super excited to get into this episode. John, hit us off with the words to live by for this episode. Okay, so for this week, we're going to be looking at a quote from one of the wisest people that has ever existed. Quite a claim, I know. Let's see if the quote is indicative of a statement such as that. If you judge people, then you have no time to love them. That is from one Mother Teresa of Calcutta. So we always kind of start this way, Santino, but when you hear that type of quote out loud, what comes to mind? What does it invoke within you? Thoughts that percolate upon hearing that excerpt? Well, you know, when... When hearing that quote, the first thing I think of is just like, as people, as humans, we spend a lot of time worrying about what everyone else thinks, worrying about, at least I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like a lot of people do this, that we worry about what everybody else is thinking about what we're doing and vice versa. We're always kind of looking at people around us, what they're doing, analyzing their, you know, analyzing what they're doing and judging them a lot. And I think what this quote is trying to say is that we don't take enough time to stop and just appreciate the people that are in our lives and just the people that are around us. And we spend, again, so much time just constantly worrying and trying to trying to be what everybody wants us to be and trying to everybody that surrounds us, whether it's family, friends, acquaintances, whoever it may be, we spend so much time worrying about other aspects rather than just simply saying, you know what? I'm so happy this person's in my life. I love the fact that they're in my life and I love them. We don't spend enough time as people doing that and appreciating, again, the people that we have. And I think that's what the quote is trying to say that we, as people, we spend too much time judging and analyzing others rather than just saying, you know what? I am blessed to have this person in my life and I should be more appreciative of that. I feel like there's kind of a balance going on here with as a bedrock foundational principle by which one can lead a successful life, you would love for your first approach with anyone and everyone that you meet, that you pass on the street, that you're sitting next to on the subway, et cetera, for that initial thing to be based around the idea of love. You would love that. Uh, But then there's also this sort of pull and pull thing where, okay, if I apply that principle to my everyday life, okay, just to speak plainly, uh, does that mean I might find myself in a troublesome situation? Um, will I, will I be robbed, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, there are different considerations that come into effect in the practical real world setting. However, as kind of a default, you should go into a situation wanting to see the best in people, wanting to, we've talked about this before in uh, bits and segments on the program, 
but this idea of judging a book by its cover and the perils that that can bring to the forefront. So as a general default setting, like picture your phone without any of the apps or any of the modifications, background filters, et cetera, your default setting should be to look for the very best in someone. And then if that person demonstrates behavior to the contrary, well, then you behave accordingly. But in your initial diagnosis, your first thoughts should be predicated around the idea that we're all in this together and we're all just doing the very best that we can in life. Definitely. And I, I, it's, it's funny because you were talking about the initial reaction specifically and just like what it should be. And what ends up happening a lot of times, because I can admit this, my friends and I will be walking on campus at Quinnipiac and we'll walk by somebody. And, the, and for some, again, for some reason, the initial thoughts are, oh, why is that person walking like that? Like, oh, they chose that to wear. They're putting sandals with that shirt. Like, what is that? And we, we, again, the first initial reaction for myself, my, some of my friends, and I feel like a lot of people in general is to look at a person or look at somebody and go, oh, well, why are they doing so, so, and so? Why do they make these decisions? Why do they do this? Why do they pick this outfit? Why did they pick, again, anything? When, again, like you said, you made the great point and the overarching point that the initial reaction should be, you know what? We're, we're all, we're all people. We're all in this, we're all in this game called life. We're all in this situation, all in this together. And we have to treat each other like we'd want to be treated and not judge people as much. But as the natural tendency of people, at least from what I've experienced personally and directed towards me, it is the initial reaction to judge people. And that really shouldn't be what the initial reaction is, like you said. Right. We should all strive to abide in a world where people get along, where crime doesn't exist, where judgment and ranking people based upon how they look or how they might be dressed, where all of that should be relegated to an entirely different type of conversation. So when I hear this, it's really kind of a push and pull battle. There's a duality here. There are the realities of the actual world, and then there are the ways in which we would like that world to be. So being able to effectively balance things and have your init, avoid the temptation to fall into cynicism, particularly in a play. I, I would imagine, I guess that this is the case in a place uh, like New York, New York City specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, it can get very easy to just default to being cynical. Okay, like I, I, I've seen this. Um, all right, I've experienced this. This has happened before. Um, and this is altering the way that I see something. But again, if we remove ourselves from that, and simply look at human beings from the most foundational basic vantage point, then of course, we would love to be able to see people without judgment and thereby uh, we'd be able to effectively, as Mother Teresa puts it, love them. Definitely, definitely. We'll move on to our next segment. 
Handprints Hall of Fame. John, you were able to select our our next inductee into Handprints Hall of Fame. Please tell the listeners who you chose to induct into our Handprints Hall of Fame this week. This week's inductee is a gentleman by the name of Francis Joseph Campbell, born in Tennessee in the 1830s. Francis led quite a life. He And again, we always like to tell people with our Handprints Hall of Fame, picture Francis. Again, uh, we're not sure what he's going to be wearing because he was born in 1832. But picture him outside of Grauman's Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, placing his palms into the dirt, thereby having them be there forever. He's on our list of inductees for a very good reason. Francis was one of two, the other being a, a British gentleman uh, who helped found the Royal or the National Royal College of the Blind in London. Uh, this happened in 1871. Uh, the person whose name escaped me just then, the English gentleman who helped to found the school, his name uh, was Thomas Armitage. Francis uh, went blind at the age of five after an accident and spent the bulk of his professional life in service of the community that he so relished. He actually defied trends. Remember, I said that he was born in 1832 in Tennessee. He came into his own during Uh, probably the worst period of racial politics in American history. He was on the good side of history, advocating for the abolition of slavery and all that it stood for. And many of the folks around him took the opposite perspective. So he was actually on the verge of being lynched while working uh, at a school for the blind in Wisconsin. Um, According to published documents, it was because basically people felt sorry for him that they did not decide to uh, lynch Francis Campbell. So we know he's good on politics with respect to race and creed. He actually found a like-minded individual. Thomas Armitage, a physician, went blind a bit later in life. And on a trip overseas in London, this gentleman from the great American state of Tennessee found a great deal in common with Thomas Armitage. They decided to open up this school abroad in London. Now we are 150 years onward from that initial founding, and the school is very much still in existence, still thriving, and still on the forefront with respect to everything going on in the world of the disabled community. So Francis Joseph Campbell, a Tennessee-bred gentleman who wound up finding his great calling abroad, you, sir, are the latest inductee into our 
Handprints Hall of Fame. I think it was a great selection, John. And, you know, when I was reading up on him and doing a little bit of research, the, the thing that I found most exemplified who we induct into our Handprints Hall of Fame, which is trying to find inductees and people who we consider to be visionaries. It's, you know, hence the name of our podcast. That is what we try to do here is to inspire visionaries and highlight people in history and just people currently in the world now that we consider visionaries. And one of the things that I really thought exemplified that within uh, Francis Joseph Campbell was the fact that he constantly throughout his life was trying to um, constantly, I guess you could use the word champion or just kind of promote the fact that even people struggling or dealing with blindness, they have capabilities and they are capable of achieving whatever they want to achieve. And they have great abilities to do so. And he spent his entire life, you know, trying to really challenge, I guess, the notion that, oh, blind people are incapable. They can't do anything. They constantly need help and they can't be independent, et cetera, et cetera. And he always had that drive and always had that personal want to, and just need to prove to people that people with blindness can be independent. They can do things on their own. They can, again, achieve whatever they want to achieve by, you know, hard work, putting their mind to it and just getting down and doing what they have to do. And I really, really think that that's what exemplifies him as a visionary. And I think that's one of the great reasons as to why, or I should say, that's one of the reasons why he was a great choice to put into the Handprints Hall of Fame this week. And he even, like you mentioned, he was instrumental in developing school programs to help those younger students and to ensure that they become independent, can, can be employed, self-sufficient, and all of all of those aspects that you would hope for anybody to be once, you know, once they're in the real world. So I think that is really the, when I was reading up on him, at least, that's the thing that I was struck, struck by the most. And I think that is what makes this pick for our Handprints Hall of Fame so, impar- or, sorry, so amazing and just great in general. And our guy was knighted. Yep. This, I mean, let's imagine how thick his accent probably was coming from where he came from. Yeah. And presenting himself at court overseas in the United Kingdom and receiving that greatest of British distinctions, the knighthood. No, pretty great. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's incredible. Again, I think he's a great choice for Hanford's Hall of Fame. I'm happy you chose him. And this was somebody, I honestly, again, there's a lot of people that you've selected uh, to be inducted into our Hanford's Hall of Fame. There have been a few that I have never heard of before. And I've honestly enjoyed being able to research their lives and just seeing what they've accomplished and being able to read about what they've done because it is miraculous. And it's, very, it's amazing just to be exposed to all these people that, again, I previously would have never been exposed to, would have never known without doing this podcast. So I do, I I was fascinated by reading about him, but we'll move on to our next segment, Profiles and Courage, where we actually have, we interviewed uh, Cassiani. She was a Team Impact member a few episodes ago. We actually have here her older sister, Effie Mia Nikolakis, one of my fellow Quinnipiac students. Effie, how you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, Effie. um, So, I thought it would be interesting uh, to have you on as a guest for uh, a perspective that maybe we haven't encountered yet or um, we haven't delved into in great detail uh, with the folks we've talked to thus far. So you and I have met because you're involved with Ability Media. 
Yes. Uh, so if you could tell our audience um, how you got involved with the company, what steered you in that direction, and some of your thoughts upon partnering with um, an organization like Ability Media. Absolutely. So just as an overview, Ability Media was created by the Dean of the School of Communications at Quinnipiac. His name is Chris Rausch. And a little over a year ago to address the pressing need across all forms of media, which is the lack of representation of people with different abilities and disabilities in content and in jobs. So I got involved because Dean Rausch actually reached out to me personally and knew about um, the work that I was doing with my sister and her um, work with Team Impact in particular. And he asked if I would be interested in writing a story about her. And at the time I was doing so much, I'm usually doing so much, so I don't have a lot of time in my schedule, but I, I knew I wouldn't have enough time to join the group, but I said, you know what, I would love to write a story about this. So I, as I learned more and more about the organization, I ended up joining. I loved it so, so much and wrote the story about her. We covered actually Ability Media. That was one of the first bigger packages and events that we covered was going to Yale and covering my sister at this event, which was really, really cool because it kind of helped a kickstart of this is what we are. This is who we are in a big space. And um, so it was just really enjoyable. And now I've totally transitioned Ability Media into being a really important aspect of my college career and something that I've been focusing on a lot. And I started out as just a contributor pretty much and transitioned into a web designer. And now I'm the public relations manager. So I love the organization so much. I spend all day thinking about it, honestly, and the ways that we can continue to grow. And just, I bet we'll talk about this more later, but all the opportunities we have had so far have been incredible. So I am really grateful that I've been able to join Ability Media. And it sounds like you are making the most of your opportunity. I wanted to ask, in your experience thus far, the need for an organization like Ability Media, um, what have you seen? What have you learned? And um, what do you see going forward with the organization and its uh, continued impact on the not only disabled community, but the uh, community writ large? I 100% think that Ability Media is going to grow because of how necessary we are as an organization, because there really is not anybody else like us, especially in the college aspect, you know, um, when having to do with college students, because all of our reporters pretty much are undergrad and graduate students. And um, our our professional and residence, Dave Stevens, worked at ESPN for more than 20 years, and he has been vital in helping us network and expand. So I truly see that we're going to expand. And um, could you repeat the second part of your question? What you've seen and kind of what you've observed as you, know, you moved to Los Angeles for a period and worked with the company there. Uh, saw how different people reacted to the community when you were in the field during the Super Bowl week and all your other endeavors. So just the need for an organization like this and maybe the you, you talked about how this type of thing really doesn't exist, particularly on college campuses. Right, right, right. Um, so 
your observations, um, some of the things that uh, that you've learned um, coming to this this process with working like a company such as this? Yeah, um, I would definitely say as well in Los Angeles, I noticed that there seemed to be a lot of opportunities, um, a lot more than I noticed. Obviously, um, Connecticut, where Quinnipiac is, is very, very small compared to California. Um, but in particular, I know uh, Santino had covered a sports organization in California that does not exist here on the West Coast called Angel City Sports. And they're all about making sports accessible for people who are in wheelchairs in particular. Um, and I thought that was incredible. And they're just really, I haven't seen many opportunities like that here on the East Coast, but Angel City Sports is so large over in Los Angeles. So it was really, really um, it was really cool seeing that and how excited people were. And in addition at Super Bowl week, I think the biggest thing was just seeing over time since I've joined Ability Media, how the world is starting to shine more light on people with disabilities and really give them the credit that they, not that they deserve, but put them in a light where it's showcasing all the things they can do instead of the things that they can't do, which is really important. Um, like at the Super Bowl press week, one of the events was the wheelchair football championship, which was insanely cool. So, so cool. We got to go to that and it was the Rams versus the chiefs. I mean, it's officially branded by the NFL, like supported by the NFL as well. And it was so cool to see that type of event absolutely not as huge as the Super Bowl, but I mean, it was the Super Bowl of wheelchair football. So if things like that can just continue to grow and become as large as some of our regular sports that we're seeing day to day, then that will be the point in which I can say like, we are truly working on reaching kind of more of an equal opportunity for people with and without disabilities. But I think just being on the West Coast and seeing the difference in type of opportunities because Los Angeles is so large, it was really, really um, cool to see that over there. And then my, uh, my last question for you, and then, you know, Santino, I know you want to chime in. You come to this, you mentioned it uh, in the first question. Um, and we had your amazing sister on as a guest uh, recently. Um, so coming to an organization like this with the background that you've had, how has it impacted you on a personal level? I think personally, I know that I wouldn't be the same person at all that I am today without having this, um, without having this personal connection with my sister and seeing from an outsider perspective, everything that she, um, everything that she overcomes so being able to work in an organization where I'm able to shine a light on so many people like her, it's just extremely rewarding on a personal level because I know, um, I know how I'm trying to find the right word. Like I know how rewarding it is to them. Like once they see that they're on screen or that their name is being mentioned, they're like, this is incredible. Like everybody can see all the great things that I've done and it really makes them feel good. It makes me feel good. Like serotonin all around, you know, um, sure. it's, it's an incredible, I can't even put, put it into words. You know what I'm saying? It's just, Absolutely. you're always smiling. You're literally always smiling. 
Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to ask specifically if you could kind of, because obviously, again, you you live with your sister who does have different abilities than, than some others. I was curious, just your insight on any, not even advice that you could give to our listeners, but your experiences of living with somebody who does have different abilities than others. Um, well, I can only contribute so much because I've never lived besides my roommate at college with a sibling who doesn't have disabilities. So I can't necessarily say what that would be like. Um, but I can say that it has honestly made my bond with, with my sister really, really close. And a lot of times I can interact with her and understand her in a way that a lot of other people cannot, just because I know how she will, um, anticipate certain situations or how she'll feel about certain things. So in that way, it's been very beneficial for me. Um, It's also been a little hard because then a lot of people rely on me and because they know that I can read her so well and I have such a great relationship with her that it puts a lot of pressure on me because people rely on me so much, you know? So it definitely made me very independent from a very young age. And a lot of times people nowadays are like, how are you so mature or how did you do this yourself? And it's like, well, I've, I've had to, you know, I grew up having to do that from the way beginning myself. So I've kind of just adapted and that's how it is, but overall been an incredible experience and truly would not have asked for anything different because it's taught me so much about myself and so much about other people. And it reminds me about something my friend said to me the other day because she has a brother with ADHD. And she said, honestly, if I didn't have someone in my house living with a disability or living with ADHD, then I never would have, it's like out of sight, out of mind. I never would have even understood what he was going through. And I probably wouldn't have been as empathetic towards other people because I just wouldn't have fully understood it. And I thought that was really important because it just, it reminds me of, I've been able to be so um, understanding towards other people because of this personal experience that I've had. Most definitely. And as somebody myself who has ADHD, I can understand that fully of just being, you know, obviously I live with it with myself, but it's the Mm -hmm. point of you being surrounded by it. It's going to be in the forefront of your mind and you're going to be exposed to it. And it's also great that your relationship with your sister almost grew and you guys grew closer through just the, through through the experiences you've both been through. So I think that's just great insight for our listeners just to hear that different dynamic and relationship that a lot of people don't really experience because they don't have to, or don't get to whatever the case may be. Um, My next question in terms of uh, back to ability media, what has been, obviously me and you, or you and I, excuse me, both went to LA. We got to cover a ton of events for Ability Media. What has been your favorite part of Ability Media of the organization since joining the group? This is so, <laughs> such a good question. I wish I could say everything. Like yesterday, um, the other day, we literally went to the Hartford Yard Goats Dunkin' Donuts Stadium to film our show there. So like we have incredible opportunities all the time. And that's a huge shout out. And thanks to Dave Stevens, because he does incredibly hard work and helping us gain connections and do amazing things. And I think thus far, I'm, I'm going to have to say Super Bowl. Like there was no experience I've ever had in my life, like going to Super Bowl 56. It was just incredible. And as I'm a photographer, so being able to go and now have some of these photos and experiences, not only in my portfolio, but just to be like 
I can't believe I got the opportunity to do this and also create this content for such an incredible organization. I'm looking at our webpage right now, the Super Bowl page that I made for us and like my photos at the forefront. And then we have all of our packages and videos underneath. And it's it looking back, I don't even believe that we did it. It was it was a week long, but it, it feels, I, I don't know, it feels unreal. That was just such an incredible experience. We got to also, I think the cool thing about that was every reporter there, every ESPN person there, every small YouTube channel that was there was there to talk about the game, was there to interview the players about who they thought would win. But we were there to really cater to the disability community and say, how accessible is SoFi Stadium? If I'm in a wheelchair, can I even get in? You know, um, if I'm, I, I don't even know. It was just so cool. We were taking these different perspectives that nobody else was. And it was making people really think when we would ask them questions, um, especially when we were giving inside looks into like the NFL experience, seeing all the things that were around there. I know there were some interactive experiences. How can different people interact with those experiences when there's a 50 yard sprint or something like that, or a field, or how big is one of the rooms that everyone is gathering in? Can, is it wide enough for a wheelchair? Can people who can't see even navigate it easily? So it was just really, really cool for us to be able to take these different um, angles towards these stories and ask these really big names in football about them and get their perspective on it because it wasn't really stuff they had thought about before we asked them. As somebody who was there with you, obviously I 100% agree. It was a sick experience. Everything yeah. you said and more just for me being a sports guy, being there. Was exactly. Um, and last thing, not a question. I just want to give you the floor, let you kind of say anything that you want the people to know anything else about ability media anything about the disabled community in general and maybe some not even like stigmas but just anything that you want people to know that might be that is currently misinterpreted anything you think is valuable information for people to have that are not necessarily informed or a part of the disabled community well i think i'm gonna continue since i've been talking about it uh talk about ability media just we've been able to do so many incredible things and for sure, keep up with us on our website, uh, www.abilitymediagroup.com. We have all of our social media handles on there as well. Also, we post articles throughout the week, all the time. Um, and a lot of our students have disabilities themselves. So this isn't like um, people without disabilities reporting on people with disabilities. It is fully immersive. There's people who have siblings with disabilities. There are people with disabilities and there are some without disabilities, but it's such an incredible community that I would absolutely love and to see expand because it needs to, like we need ability media across the country type of thing and even across the world. So just to be able to be part of such an incredible organization and surrounded by so many students that are so, so committed to the organization has just been an incredible experience. And I've loved literally every single second of it. Most definitely. Most definitely. I a hundred percent agree with you. I have been a part of ability media for less time 
than you have doing the internship and now being an official member. I can honestly say that it's, we're only going to go up. We're only going to keep doing bigger and better things with Dave, with Chris Roush, with everybody that's involved. Cannot wait to see what else we do. Effie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your insight into Ability Media, this fantastic organization, and insights into your own personal life and experiences that you've had that a lot of people have not had the chance to experience. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, Effie, thanks so much for coming on. And in listening to you recount that Super Bowl week, it made my heart swell in recalling like the first time that I had a professional experience kind of on that level where I went, oh, okay, I was anticipating what this might be like um, growing up. And now, wow. Okay, I crossed that threshold. And you always kind of compare your subsequent experiences to that initial one. And well, yours happens to be extraordinary um, (laughs) listening to you tell that story. So uh, thanks for coming on and uh, having a chat with us. Thank you. Thank you, Efimia, so much for coming on the show. Your insight was invaluable. And it was awesome just to kind of, you know, through our conversation, relive the experiences that we had in LA, uh, that Ability Media gave to us, the Super Bowl, everything else that we did, myself being able to interview um, Angel City Sports, which was amazing being able to be a part of that organization for the little part that I was while out in LA. So thank you for allowing me to relive all those experiences through our conversation. John, we'll move on to our next segment, representation and respect in the media. John, what show, book, movie, what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to be dipping into the Netflix vault, clutching out the program Love is Blind. And I didn't just pick it because the name includes the word blind. Yeah. Uh, this is an immensely popular reality show which just completed its second season on netflix it's been greenlit for seasons three four and five so the show has no signs of abetting of going anywhere and it's actually become a franchise in a prior episode we talked about master chef and that program i think is kind of the blueprint for what the creators of Love is Blind would like to see happen with their show. As now we've got Love is Blind Brazil, there's Love is Blind uh, in Japan, and I know that there are more in the queue coming to a screen sometime soon. So for the uninitiated, the premise of the show is we gather up let's say two dozen single men and women in their mid to late 20s looking for love. But here's the twist. They never get to see one another. They communicate with an enormous barrier placed between them. The premise here, what we're trying to get to is this idea of, well, Is love indeed, as the adage goes, blind? Can men and women living in the 21st century, the year of our Lord, 2022, with all the distractions, all the social media, everything in front of young people today, is it possible for them to fall in love with a person without ever seeing them? 
So Santino with Love is Blind, did they succeed? I think that, I, th- I think, yes, they did. I think it was a great, um, for the little bit that I watched, I think it was a great show. And I just love the concept of, like you said, a f- the fact that they, they, they follow the series that follows 15 men and 15 women. And then for 10 days, they have to date each other and they can't see each other. And they are initially paired in like a speed dating format. I'm just giving a little more context. And then they, you know, they can choose to have longer dates as they go on throughout the 10 days. And the date, the daters, they may, you know, they can uh, give out a proposal whenever they feel ready. And the couple doesn't meet face to face until after the proposal occurs, which is the crazy thing. So, they're making these, you know, life, you know, life-changing, you, you recently got married, a life-changing decision that without even having seen the other person. So I think it's a great concept that it is highlighting that, you know, and, and there are actually two couples, I believe, from the beginning of season one that still are married to this day and are still together as of April 2022. So it goes to show you that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be able to see somebody, at least initially, to be able to find love, to find happiness with somebody. So I do think it achieves what it was trying to achieve. And we see that in the fact that literally two couples, I have their names here, Lauren Speed and Cameron Hamilton, and then Amber Pike and Matthew Barnett, I believe is how you pronounce it. Those two couples are still together to this day, which is incredible. So with the second season, um, two couple, I mean, okay, spoiler alert. So if you uh, don't want to know the ultimate results of love is blind season two then uh fast forward a couple uh, hit that 15 second skip button a couple times yeah there are okay now that you've skipped okay there are two couples from season two who are also still together what's interesting to me about the well there are a lot of things but for our purview what we learn here is it's easy to mask certain things very convenient to project an image of oneself to the world hey i'm on a reality show i know this is going to be seen by x amount of people so i don't want to come off as fill in the blank and that's what we see with particularly what is referred to in the show as the pod period the pod being the place with that enormous obstruction between the couples that is only lifted after someone proposes marriage. With that period, with the pod period, we really do get a more, let's say, dressed up version of the contestants. It's pretty clear that they are aware they're on a reality show that everything's being televised and how things might come off. But then after the proposals and after that barrier is lifted, I think we actually see the genuine personalities with the contestants come into the forefront. Best example of this from season two is I think uh, Shayna and Kyle. So Shayna is a kind of conventionally attractive uh, woman the type of person that if you were just describing what you'd imagine your typical man would be after, it might conceivably look something like how Shayna appears. Contrasting that, Kyle is 
a guy with longer hair. Um, he works in, he doesn't have that movie star, you know, thick, square jawed appearance that you typically get with people that you see on screen. But he's got an outstanding personality, comes off as really caring, very thoughtful, smart, opinionated. And he and Shayna get along on the back of what turns out to be a version of themselves that doesn't totally exist, specifically uh, her. What happens with Shayna, Kyle does propose marriage, and you can see the reaction in her face the first time that she uh, gets a look at her new fiance. As my wife told me while watching the show, she doesn't look happy. So this idea, and it's interesting that we talked about the Mother Teresa quote today. If you judge a person before you meet them, uh, you won't be able to love them. Here, we kind of get a version of that at first, but then uh, the autopilot is lifted and the uh, person's genuine personality comes into the fold. So with respect to Ayana, and uh, I keep wanting to call him Jer Bear because um, that's how one of the contestants refers to him, but uh, Jarrett and Ayana, uh, that's a bit different. Their relationship is a bit more nuanced. Uh, there's uh, complexity attached to it. But the example of Shayna and Kyle, where, okay, they've bonded, he's proposed marriage, she's accepted. After seeing him, she has done an about face, and she actually flees in the middle of the night without talking to anybody about it, while all of the couples are on what ostensibly is a romantic vacation in Mexico. She just bails in the middle of the night, like, um, I don't know. Uh, And then with the reunion special, with everything that happens after the couple's retreat in Mexico, it's kind of the real Shayna. It's not that person, and unfortunately for her, it's not that person who's looking for a genuine connection with someone special, It's just she has seen what Kyle looks like and she cannot abide. What were your thoughts, Santino, on, I mean, the the Kyle and Shayna of it all or any of the other couples who were trying to see whether or not love indeed, whether it is truly blind or not? I think overall, it's just it is just an interesting concept, again, because you truly do have to see from. The, the, the couple's perspective on whether they, again, really just w- whether they care about the appearance or not. And I think the show, again, just does a great job of bringing, bringing that, I guess, thought process and just that, I don't, I don't want to call it like an issue, but just that concept to light of really just thinking, okay, if we were to solely base who we wanted to be with or, you know, base relationships off of, let's forget about looks, okay, how do I vibe with this person? How do I match, you know, personality wise with this person? Do we have the same interests? All kind of different kind of things like that, that I think in this, at least in the stage in, uh, prior to 
meeting face to face. That's what the importance was focused on rather than what they look like. So I think in that sense, the show did a good, the, the show does a good job of it. And listen, were there couples that obviously weren't together from season one and even season two? Yes, of course. I gave two examples of couples that were still together. together. So there's a mix of both. I don't want to mislead anybody and be like, oh, well, all the couples stay together. It works out perfectly. That's not the case at all. But there is a good balance and mix throughout the two seasons of couples that still remain now, couples that don't. And I think that overall, again, the show does a good job of kind of of really pinpointing what it's trying to pinpoint, which is again, that love can be blind, that you don't, that you can fall in love without necessarily having to see some, to, to be able to look at somebody and see somebody right off the bat, if that makes sense. Yes, definitely. But at the end of the day, the person who woke up in the morning is the same person that's going to go to bed. With Shayna, again, very clear that she's kind of doing an act with the first portion of the show, with the pod portion of the program. And then when the uh, rubber meets the road, if you will, her true nature comes out. That judgmental nature, which Mother Teresa used to rail against. I Maybe agree I agree. And, uh, I and, agree. and, and, and not, just, uh, not just them, uh, there's um, an Indian American couple, uh, Shake and uh, Difti, and they go through the same thing where Shake understanding, I'm sure, how it's going to be seen by an audience makes mention of his preference for conventionally attractive, I, I don't know, blonde hair, blue eyes type women. But then he does propose to Ditya and they are engaged and he does attempt to make it work. But then at the end of the day, we see that, you know what, <laughs> this guy was pretty upfront. He wanted to be with somebody of blonde hair and blue eyes. And though he fought against it, that's really what he wants. And that's his nature. And this whole idea of I'm going to put on the best face I can for the camera, that'll only take you so far because your true yeah. nature will ultimately override things. Uh, by the end. And, you know, the idea of love being blind, visual representation, being able to see somebody, not being able to see somebody, uh, what it doesn't incorporate, doesn't touch upon, uh, are a number of the other things. What about the other senses? Okay, we've got a big old boulder in between us during a conversation. I have no idea what this person smells like. I have no idea. I can't really tell. I'm just a little bit too far from them to be able to ascertain whether or not they keep like clicking their back teeth, like some kind of a tick that would be incredibly annoying for some people. Mm -hmm. All you get is what you are told by them about their life and what comes out with respect to their personality. But in the end, your nature is your nature and you can work on it and you can do the best that you can but how you feel is how you feel. So whether you're masking it for the benefit of an audience watching the show at home or putting on a brave face for family members, in the end, if you're not gonna do the personal inventory that it takes to become a more thoughtful, engaged, wholly realized individual, then 
it's probably not going to work out in the end. And your instincts about, I wanted to be with somebody with blonde hair and blue eyes. Well, if you haven't gotten past that and worked on yourself enough to realize how shallow that kind of world perspective is, then you're not going to be able to have this special relationship. And that's, I mean, it didn't work with them. Didn't work with Shana and Kyle. Uh, didn't work. I mean, only uh, two of the, I think there were five engaged couples. So only two of the five actually wound up getting married. So I guess in the end, is love blind? Well, yes and no. Sometimes, yes, and probably more often, no. I think that's the answer which the results of the show lead us toward. Yeah, there is a balance. I get what you're saying. As you explained, as you explained it more, and I, I listened again, there is a balance. There is a mix of both. So I guess you could say it's a it's a, it's a multi answer that love is blind. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to our final segment, connecting the dots. Where again, like John always does, he regales us, tells us about one of his life stories, uh, tells us about his experience going through the world uh, without eyesight. So, John, what's a story you have for us today? So, I wanted to talk about traveling. What's traveling like? And I don't mean uh, what we've addressed in the past, getting on a bus and going to the La Brea tar pits or things like that. I mean, getting yourself on a plane and going abroad to say Australia, for example, or Greece. This idea of love being blind, you can extrapolate that out to the kind of thinking that takes issues like I raised, issues about, oh, what does this person smell like? Uh, do they have some type of uh, tick? Do they have really, really sweaty palms? All of that. It takes those things off the table, which a lot of times are the things which bond us to a person. And with respect to traveling, there are so many things that can be taken from any such experience without being able to see any of it. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Greece. I went to, an, I think, like 18 different countries um, in my 20s. One of the trips I went on by myself was to Greece, and I was dying to go to the Parthenon. Now, I can't really see the Parthenon. I couldn't really see uh, all of it at the time. So there was a lot of mental gymnastics that went into okay, I know how long this structure has been around. I know how long it's been in existence and what my mind tells me it's going to look like, or I'm sorry, look like, but what's it going to smell like up there? Um, what are some other observations that I'll be able to bring to bear because I can't really see what's going on? So you have to take a big old hill up to get uh, to the Parthenon. And as you're ascending up this hill that I mentioned, it's impossible not to think about what this building stood for. Um, you're perched above Athens, really. What did this structure, what does the structure symbolize to people? What does it mean to others? Oh, wow, I've got to go up this big hill to get there truly, truly important stuff going on. 
And even though I couldn't actually see it, just the trip up that gigantic hill told me quite a lot about it. Told me, frankly, more than, let's say, I were fully sighted and I were able, <clears throat> excuse me, to simply go online and look at a picture of the Parthenon. It was that experience of literally being in a car going up this massive hill, noticing the proximity of the Parthenon as it was to relate to the rest of the city of Athens. That told me a lot about uh, how did the townspeople see this place, shopkeepers, et cetera, et cetera, and on and on and so forth. And so even though there can be a tendency to opt for ease and comfort, the need for traveling will tell you a great deal, even if you can't see what's in front of you. What does the food taste like? Of course, obviously. Um, how does the Aegean Sea smell in comparison to the Pacific Ocean? Is the water choppier? What's the distance between the port in Athens and a neighboring island, i.e. Crete? In short, there are a multitude of ancillary benefits that come with traveling aside from the expected ones. And even though those with visual impairments might not be able to articulate, this is what the Parthenon looked like, and this is how many columns there were, and this is how white the base of the structure was, etc. There are so many things that the visually impaired can speak about with great authority. And those observations might fall by the wayside with folks who are fully sighted. So the value of travel, even though I think the tendency is to go, well, okay, they can't see it anyway, so what are they really going to get out of it? The answer is a lot. The answer is a ton, a considerable amount. And it's oftentimes stuff that the fully sighted members of society haven't necessarily even considered. And with everything that we try to touch upon here on Visionaries, what we're looking for is consideration. You don't need to alter your life to be able to better help and assist the disabled. All the community is really looking for is consideration, being thoughtful, taking five seconds to think about things and to not simply go, oh, well, they can't see the Parthenon. So what's the point of having them get on a plane from California and travel to Greece so they can visit it because they can't see it. it. Doesn't matter. They can feel it. They can smell it. They can hear it. And there is a ton of value in all of that. Not just like Mother Teresa talked about that judgment, that first thing you see. There's a lot more to it than meets the eye. It's about wanting to still have those experiences too, where it's like you don't need to have eyesight or you don't need to, you know. You, 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 you should have those experiences regardless of whatever you're dealing with, whether it's some other disability, whatever, whatever it may be, if you're deaf, what, again, whatever, you still deserve and you should still want to have those experiences. And there is no reason that you should have to sacrifice that or go, oh, they can look, they can look at a picture, they can do this, they can do that, or why do they need to get on a plane and go, you know, across the country or across the world even to, 
go see these different landmarks, et cetera, et cetera. It's about, you want to have those same, same experiences and you, ha- you are able, to, not even that you want to, you're capable of having those same experiences that everybody else can have. It doesn't, that like being blind, again, being deaf, whatever, whatever, uh, you know, hindrance you want to use or anything like that, whatever example you want to throw out there, it doesn't matter. You're still capable of achieving whatever you want to achieve. And again, like I always say, I feel like I always say the same thing when we have this segment, but it's the feeling I get every time I hear John tell one of these stories. It's the fact that you can achieve whatever you want to achieve, no matter what obstacle you're encountering. It's a matter of having the drive to do it, not caring what anybody else thinks, not listening to the naysayers that are like, oh, are you crazy? Like, why are you going to get on a plane and, you know, go through all this trouble to go, you know, not even be able to see the Parthenon, like the, the, you know, whatever, not even be able to see this monumental landmark that millions and millions of people have seen in their lifetime. It's the matter of you have the right to go do whatever you want to do. And you are, you have the ability to do whatever you want to do. And that is yet again, what I take away and what every single listener should take away from John's story is you want to do something. Don't just sit around and wait for somebody to do it or listen to the people that are telling you, Oh, it's not worth it. Don't do it. Why are you even trying? Get up and go do it. That's all that, 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 that's the main thing you should be taking away from this and every story he's told so far in every single one of our episodes, in my opinion. And being open-minded. I like to have sort of a theme with each of our episodes. And for this one, I think it's that it's, Hey, it's, um, it's not a superpower, but it is a power, the ability to remain open-minded. Sometimes people will let you down. If you go into a situation on the advice of one Mother Teresa and you give people the benefit of the doubt and then they turn around and do something that flies in the face of the doubt that you've extended to them, well, then feel free to make up your mind one way or another. But approaching a situation with an open mind as opposed to that cynical, judgmental i already know and oh I, well i assume blah, blah 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 that's the type of stuff that gets you into trouble that limits the ability of what you're able to experience and achieve in life we would like for folks to approach every situation with an open mind and an open heart and if you get bad results you can blame us yeah for sure um, but again, great story. I love when John closes. We, I love that we close out the show with this every single time because it gives myself and our listeners a chance to hear different experiences that John has gone through. And it gives you guys insight onto what it's like to have to do these things with, you know, while being blind, which I think is very, very valuable, especially for this type of podcast. Uh, that's going to do it for our 10th episode of Visionaries. We've now hit 10 episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's edition. If you guys would do us a favor, please, please go follow us on our Instagram at Visionaries underscore podcast. If you want to shoot us over a DM, anything you want to say, uh, comments, concerns, any um, recommendations you want us to do for a movie to cover, anything at all, shoot us a DM. We'd love to hear from you guys. Again, thank you for listening and we will see you guys next time. See you later, guys.